Hello, I'm sitting in the wood on the hill above our house here in rural Lethley in West Wales on a, a, a lovely autumn morning. We just had a load of rain and now the sun's out. So you'll hear the drips from the, the trees and the birds coming back to life and the drips hitting my, my script. Oh no. Uh, I'm David Hedges and I'm managing the Homegrown Homes Project for Wood Knowledge Wales. It's a study of the timber construction supply chain. It's led by Powys Council and it's funded through the Rural Development Programme and being delivered in partnership with Cardiff Met, Coyd Cymru and BM Trada. Now, ordinarily Wood Knowledge Wales would have held its annual Woodbill Conference this summer, but 2020 has turned out to be anything but ordinary. So, instead of a, a conference themed around the Homegrown Homes project, we're running a series of webinars and podcasts which all have a focus on a particular aspect of the project. The podcasts are conversations between two people like me, both based at home, with an interest in the subject matter and a willingness to share their thoughts on the past, present and future. We made our recordings over the summer and sometimes the technology imposed limitations on us which you'll hear as you listen. I'm grateful to all of our conversationalists for giving up their time to talk and for being open and honest. I hope you find them interesting and thought-provoking and if you want to find out more about the Homegrown Homes project have a look at the Wood Knowledge Wales website and follow the links to the various project pages. Right, I'm going back indoors now to do a bit more editing and to record an introduction to each podcast. In this podcast, we hear two timber housing manufacturers in conversation. Jasper Mead is director of PYC Group based in Welshpool in Powys, Mid Wales. And Neil Sutherland is director of Macar Limited based in Inverness in the Scottish Highlands. The theme for the conversation was future homes and how we build or make them. So, two perspectives from Wales and Scotland on what the future of house building might look like and what will need to change in order for that future to be realised. To set the scene, I asked first Neil and then Jasper to describe the job they currently do and the career path that brought them to where they are today. How long have we got? Uh, two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking exactly that, Neil. <laughs> okay, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, Neil Sutherland, based up in on the edge of Inverness in the Highlands. Yeah, so Macker is an organisation uh, which is relatively unique in the sense that we combine a number of um, services to customers. So we're, we're both... Um, architects but we're also manufacturers and we assemble buildings and finish them so in many respects we cover all the kind of main bases the um the reason we got into this really is because we just, it was very difficult to 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 have the buildings that we designed um constructed by others we found we were doing things in such a way it was sufficiently different from what normally happens in the delivery of particularly housing that we decided that it would probably be easier if we just did it ourselves. Um, we're talking about a, more or less a 30-year trajectory. So I started this back in the early 90s and um, it's pretty fresh out of university but the route I, I came to this was slightly unusual in that I undertook a, an apprenticeship in mechanical and production engineering from age 16 and then started studying architecture as a mature student when I was in my early 20s, so 21 years old or so. Um, I spent most of my studies in Aberdeen. I was lucky enough to have a year in Chicago as an undergraduate, which was quite form formative. Uh, but uh, as most folk will know, an architectural course goes on and on, so it takes about six years to kind of uh, negotiate all that. And as, as soon as I completed the formal studies, 
I did this almost reckless thing and just started in business straight away, which is not to be recommended. But uh, anyway, 28, 29 years later, here, here we are. So I was 10 years working on my own as a design consultant. And the last uh, sort of um, 18, 19 years have been developing uh, Macar into what it is today. So from right about now, we have about 50 employees uh, directly employed. And uh, we're very busy and in demand. Excellent. Um, I, I'll come back to some of what you've said, hopefully, in the questions that we we cover. Um, Jasper, what's your story? Do you want to say a little bit about what you do now and how you've got there? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm Jasper Mead, and I work, live where I was brought up and spent most of my life here. And I started my career as a roofer, but then soon started doing more um, whole house renovations and then extensions and then builds and was joined with my brother who's a cabinet maker so a combination of, of both our skills led us to work pretty much exclusively with timber with oak frame initially renovations and barn conversions and then we moved on to new build and along the way we got interested in sustainability side of construction and chose various products that we wanted to use one of which was warm cell insulation cellulose fiber and that then became quite a big part of our business and what was really interesting about doing the warm cell insulation is it led us to meet up with architects builders both self-builders self-build builders um, and uh, companies who were specialising in sustainable construction and in about 10 years, I guess, yeah, 10 years, 12 years ago, uh, Passive House became um, a big part of uh, that, that sector of building. And so we got to learn a lot about different timber frame methods and working through these different methods um, and on Passive House buildings, we then decided that we wanted to start manufacturing our own. So we bought a uh, plot of land on an industrial estate, built a factory. first building we built in the factory was our offices, which we built to Passive House standards, and now manufacture Passive House um, panels off-site manufacturing um, using an, an I-beam system, which we've we worked with probably firstly in 1999. We worked on the first I-beam panel system, but um, we've refined that and along with some others in the UK, we, we've developed a really good construction method. And so at the moment, we're delivering these around the country, but also working with housing associations and councils, developing their systems for them, acting as consultants quite often for some of the larger organisations. Are you competitors or, or collaborators or both, would you say, in what you do? Uh, collaborators. we far end of the country, so... It'd be difficult to compete against Neil, I think, really. And slightly different systems the way we work. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't call ourselves competitors, would you, Neil? No, collaboration is uh, is this ideal. The, the important thing about collaboration is that you can only do it if you're working with competent uh, people that you want to work with. Uh, it doesn't work if, if it's kind of forced. I often think... Uh, the way musicians often work is is a is an ideal situation where there's a lot of respect due to the kind of level of competence that they've got to. You, you rarely find that with designers that they they tend to be uh, reluctant to share <laughs> things. But I think it's a very good sign uh, if you are able to collaborate. Uh, you're open to other people's um, capabilities, and it it's challenges your own. I think that's a positive thing. The theme for this conversation is very much the, the future. You've talked, both of you, about how you've got to do what you do now without necessarily identifying a timescale, but, but thinking of, of the future. My, my first question to, to both of you, maybe Jasper, you can have a crack at this one first, is um, what you think the homes of the future are going to look like. I, I don't know whether that's something that, that, you, that you think about but roll forward in time. How how is the home of the future going to going to look? 
in respect to design, could be anything, I guess, but certainly open plan living is is much more um, popular um, as a design. But um, construction wise, which is where we're at, our focus is. I would like to hope that it will be very similar to how we're working, which is using sustainable, recyclable, low embodied energy materials and high performance. Whilst you can, you know, we can build houses that have extremely low um, energy costs for running. Um, I'd like to think that that's the way forwards for everybody. It's common sense, really. I mean, why why would you buy a car that did 40 miles to the gallon when it's very easily possible to have one which is, does 150, 200 miles to the gallon? So if you put that into how houses can be built, why would you build them to poor standards? And Neil, do you do you share Jasper's view? Have you got one of your own of the, about the future? That's a good question, and I do think about this quite a lot. And I guess my job in within Macar now to look into the future and anticipate how how that takes form. So similar to Jasper, really, I think um, there's going to be much much more pressure on dealing with some of the horrendous statistics around. The conventional construction. So, uh, just just the, the kind of headline ones really are that we um, the, the, the built environment sector produces forty percent greenhouse gas emissions across Europe. It uh, uses roughly fifty percent of all material uh, consumption uh, of all types, and it produces fifty percent of the waste uh, of of the European uh, situation. So fairly horrendous kind of statistics and we've got to sort that out. So the future will be defined by the requirement for net zero carbon housing uh, for the circular economy to to um, to ha- have a huge impact on the way we do things. So the, the kind of horizon ideas around what we do today are going to dramatically affect uh, the future. So um, you know, if we choose to, to build our, um, our our homes with steel, concrete, and plastics. Then that has an implication. Personally, uh, similar to Jasper, we prefer to to use natural materials that um, will be uh, effectively nutrients for the next cycle in in that um, in the future. So so that kind of full cradle to cradle idea. Uh, but the, the the critical thing, guys, beyond the sort of the kind of forces that are driving what we're doing is simple things around comfort and beauty and inspiration. So we really need to develop a housing uh, a future for housing that embraces the, these these basic things that shelter and a comfortable, healthy environment is all about. Really, so so that's that's almost the the, the reason that we're doing it. And then we get into the uh, how and, and, and why we're doing, or what we're doing, rather. So, yeah, all these things are mixed up. And um, to be honest, the, the last thing I'd say about this is, is frankly, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about about the future of housing because it, it's fundamental to addressing the big issues of our time. Are you both working and operating at a time where, if you like, the territory is quite fertile? We're living in a climate emergency, aren't we? We've got various expectations about how all sorts of change needs to happen. But are you finding that the doors to, to that change process are are opening in front of you? Or, or are you finding actually you've got to push quite hard to uh, to persuade, to convince, to cajole, to get people to be more accepting of of this new way of doing things. N- Neil, do you, how do you find things in Scotland? Yeah, it's a combination of of both. So sometimes you can be quite optimistic about and really quite excited about what's going on, and other times it's it's like walking through treacle. Yeah, well, I mean we're we're just emerging from a, a health emergency, a pandemic, and so people are getting used to, to making changes and some fairly significant changes in the way that they they operate they behave and and and, are, and um, it's allowed everyone to reconsider perhaps um, 
so I'm quite hopeful in the sense that that change is possible. I mean, I think I'm probably right in assuming that both myself and Jasper are dealing with change quite a lot, and we embrace that, and we're quite good at it. Um, but it seems that there are structures in society that are hell-bent on actually keeping things the way things are in the full knowledge that they're not working. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's a bit of an issue, really. But the big issues in Scotland, um, in addition to the ones you've mentioned, so that the climate emergency for, for sure, are a redistribution of, of, um, of, of, of wealth, really, in the form of land, in the form of uh, there's some real issues around uh, security in terms of, of uh, income and uh, a healthy place to live. You know, we live in a fairly denuded environment. Uh, here I am sitting in the Highlands. People associate that with with really positive things, but if you if you look a little bit deeper, um, we've made a pretty big mess of the place over the last couple of hundred years. And part of our job is to respond to that and to to repair and to heal the place for future generations. Jasper, what what's your take on how amenable people in Wales are to the, to this notion of doing things differently? From a client side, clients have strong aspirations for um, building this way and we'll take it on board and understand it fairly readily. Uh, where the difficulty is, is the construction sector still doesn't fully know how how to do, deal with this and sees it as a barrier to, to how they build in cost procurement difficulties, etc. Um, yet it isn't difficult. It is simple. Um, our construction methods are a bit different, but certainly not 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 something that is skill wise difficult to achieve um, with the proper direction and training. Um, we we definitely do find that issue that um, we can get a design done. We can get specification written out and then when it comes to procuring a company to build it it's often they look at it and see oh it's too hard let's stick stick a load of money on it just to cover that cost and without really realizing that it's 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 very achievable um we have had some great successes in in some projects where we've worked with um contractors who've never built in these ways before and once they've gone through that initial learning curve, not a problem. Do it again any time. Is there a temptation for these companies to revert back to the way they've always done things? Or or do you think once they understand and they apply the knowledge and, and learn the skill and gain the experience, do they do they think this, this is the future? And are, are they moving in the same kind of direction? I think commercially, most companies will work to the specification they've got. And if there is an opportunity to to keep that specification low in terms of performance and I'm afraid to say they will do so so the the real step forward the real way to get this change is legislation um, so building regulations to be, have to be at a level that demands high performance construction there's absolutely no reason that as a, um, a nation in Wales we can't, we can't put in a higher building regulation standard which meets these targets so we can achieve that zero carbon um, demand very easily. But it has to be legislated. I really firmly believe it has to be legislated. In, in Scotland, Neil, I mean, I, I must admit, I don't know how um, the building regulations compare between um, England, Wales, and Scotland. But do you do you share that view that actually it's it's through regulation that that, that standards will will rise? Well, I, I think the regulatory path is important, but I personally am not going to hold my breath. Uh, I think businesses have a tremendous responsibility in this area. Uh, I. I mean, the reason I say that is um, that it's it, what we need is what we need is examples. We need we need um, to take both the market forward and the market's uh, ambition or, or expectation, and uh, 
combined with with the, the, the statutory regulatory requirements. The, the problem that we have is that, um, speaking frankly about it, what we represent and and what uh, Jasper's company represent is 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 the best it can be in a sense that, that this is the kind of um, we we are the path um, finders and this we are the pioneers and. The problem is that the other 99.9% of companies um, are resistant to the kind of thing we're doing. Or if they're not fully resistant, they, they're they partially resistant to it. So it's very, very difficult for them to actually uh, assimilate um, this kind of change. And I, I don't think we should underestimate just the significant the significance of the change that's needed. So, for instance, the way, the way things are set up in... The construction sector just now, it's a fragmented sector with a, with a number of players who speak different languages. They don't necessarily represent, uh, respect each other. I'm talking about professionals, you know, surveyors, architects, engineers, and also, um, suppliers, contractors, uh, the various players, the various actors in this performance. Um, you know, there, there's a f- basic level of, of uh, suspicion very often. So, um, the way we've organised ourselves here, we've worked very, very hard to to avoid the, these um, these challenges, and I suspect Jasper's done the same. Um, in fact, I know he has. So, yeah, there's a fundamental shift, and this is both exciting and uh, terrifying that we need <laughs> such a large, large kind of um, change to, to impact on the sector. Of course. Final thing I'll say about this is that um, the work speaks for itself, uh, and once someone has experienced a, a really beautiful, inspiring home, then they are very rapidly convinced that this is the way forward. Well, I, you see, I thought our conversation was going to focus in on um, technology and and the process of manufacture, but you're you're, I think, talking about something that's that's a little bit more fundamental because I guess if there isn't a change in the culture, um, the change in the way those relationships work, that's going to mean that it's going to be much harder to bring in the kind of change process that's required in terms of the way that we build. Jasper, do you, do you recognize what Neil's been describing? Yes. I mean, we, particularly in England, um, throughout the UK, really, there's we can't forget that the majority, something like ninety percent of our housing, is built by only a handful of companies who build purely for profit. So they will only work to the regulations, and they will not exceed the regulations. So bearing in mind that the regulations are set as the legal minimum standard, it's pretty poor that we are working to the base minimum standard across 90% of our housing and so I really do see that the only way forwards is that legislation will get that to change because our small sector will provide higher quality housing because that's our will but the 90% will still be at the bottom minimum standard so legislation is the only way forwards to lift it. I really firmly believe that. Is there an opportunity for a carrot there somewhere? I, I get the whole stick thing with regulation, but what would the carrot be for the, the house builders that build the vast majority of the homes people live in? They can build things differently and still make a profit, can't they? Uh, absolutely. And it's about how much profit they make. That's that's what it's always about. And if you know they cite competition, etc., but if we're all on the same level, then we're at that level without a need for a carrot. I mean, you know, there's different ways of paying for it. If if you want to pay for it, then carrots has to be. It's it's understood where we're at with our climate situation. It's known that um, low embodied carbon products and high performance buildings is a way forwards to alleviate that situation. We we're demanding it in other in other uh, venues of life. So why not? in the construction sector. Neil, you're involved in various forums, fora, I guess, in Scotland, and you're getting around the table with with people who have the ability to, to make some of the changes you'd like to see. What's preventing that change process from speeding up, from getting quicker? Yeah, and 
Um, just to, to, to respond to that question, but also uh, what Jasper's been saying there, um, Macker also intends to make a profit. We intend to be uh, a business that, uh, that moves forward. Profitability in businesses is hugely important. Um, and um, I think the, the kind of sweet spot we'll come to is where when the kind of work that we've been doing, uh, working very hard on in terms of how we integrate the, the, the different um, elements of what we do into a, we start with the end in, in mind in that sense. But we, for instance, I'll give you an example. We've just recently taken on a plumber and an electrician to work very closely with all the other parts of the team here so that these elements are integrated in at the workshop level. Um, but that, that doesn't normally happen in, in, in the, in the construction. I mean, I'm convinced that the future of housing is a manufacturer model. Um, that this is the only way to, to, to get the quality issues sorted out. So can you imagine if we get a building, um, to use a similar analogy, Jasper used, we, we get a, a building that actually performs the way it's meant to perform. So it's modeled to do 150 miles on a gallon to use that kind of analogy. And most, most houses, when they're delivered, they only do the, the 40 miles per gallon. So we have to change that. We're in the process, you know, we've made some considerable, um, kind of, uh, advances with that. So we've now got to the point where we can deliver fantastically performing houses in every way. So in terms of their energy, but also their carbon credentials, their credentials around local sourcing, upskilling people so that they, they have security and a decent wage. But it's, you know, at the same cost as, as a poor product uh, that's been uh, supplied by the volume builders. Um, haven't really answered your question, David, around the, the kind of... Um, some of the people we're working with. I mean, we have to engage with uh, with local and, and national government on what we're doing. We're quite happy to do that. We engage with universities. We also engage with agencies like the Construction Scotland Innovation Centre. And all of these actors, these players, have a part in, in what's going on. But my own feeling is that, um, and I have to be a bit tactful about the way I say this, it's really taking action where the power really is. Uh, Macker's got a lot to offer because we physically get stuff done. We get it over the line. It becomes real. Uh, where a lot of the organizations we're, we're working with in order to promote the movement that we're involved in, um, don't have that capability. You know, they, they, and one has to be quite careful with politicians uh, when you engage with them because they tend to be interested in short-term power rather than long-term things, which myself and Jasper clearly, clearly are in, involved in. Um, j- just quickly, Neil, for, for those people listening who like to understand things a bit better, I- explain why you use the term manufacturing rather than building what what's the significance of of that terminology okay so most things that most commodities that we surround ourselves with in our lives are the consequence of a manufacture process uh, so this is one which is joined up it's integrated design isn't a separate thing from how things are actually um, developed and put together uh, Construction's almost unique in its ability to to disconnect all the elements. Uh, so design is treated as a completely separate um, element in in, in in the jigsaw. So so what um, designers are design is effectively dealing with um, with the with the intentions of things. So so so. You know, what is the intention? What is the deeper level of intention? So we're trying to build a beautiful house that supports people's needs and, and, and lives. Um, so we get clear about that. But very often that doesn't translate into the next um, elements of the process. So the design is unique. It's a unique aspect and, and it doesn't inform how things actually get done. Um, I'm not sure if I'm explaining that so well, but manufacture is, is when you... You pull all those elements together and um, you've got a virtuous circle or cycle where um, uh, 
the, the successful design elements are continuously informing how things are, are, are made and how they're, how they're improved, how you improve that making process. So that's, that's why manufacture is at the center of what we do here. And um, because it, um, influences all the other stuff that, that needs to happen to, uh, for a successful outcome. Jasper, does that description that Neil's just given seem, seem fair, seem reasonable? Aren't you doing the same thing in Welshpool? Yes, yes. So offsite manufacturing. So we're producing, um, a closed panel pre-insulated house build system. Um, not to the finished levels that Neil's doing external finishes. We, that still happens on site, although that's our aspiration to move towards that. And Neil said it before, really, it's, it's by following this route, we are providing what's designed. So there is no design gap. So typically construction is built with a design in mind, yet what is actually handed over very often doesn't perform to that standard at all um, with the offsite manufacturing methods and quality control. We believe that you can ensure that you do get exactly what you've designed. Um, that also helps following through with the design software. We use the performance evaluation software, which is the passive house planning package, PHPP, which uh, gives you uh, a very clear outcome of what performance your building is going to be achieving, um, forming your heating systems, etc risk of overheating models all of that accurately i mean off-site on its own off-site manufacturing on its own can still be to a poor standard we've chosen to to work to higher standards we've select select a customer select us because that's what they want yet it's still very possible to build off-site to very poor standards it's happening has happened for for years still um but with the with the sort of building regulation increased demands, I think that um, offsite manufacturing will provide the, the the high quality housing future that we need. To pick up on your point about offsite manufacture, we we can still build poor poor quality housing inside a factory environment. I mean that that must be something that anybody investing in offsite manufacture want wants to. Um, challenge the the whole point, I guess, about building building homes in a factory environment is that is that you improve what you do. Um, so it's not just about building things in a shed. It's much more than that, isn't it, Neil? Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, the interesting thing about this, I had a conversation just last week with a civil engineer, originally from Sri Lanka, and he made the point that there's a lot of people. Uh, through the, 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 the 20th century, a lot of organizations really tried hard to crack this, um, this conundrum around how you produce factory or manufactured houses, factory based housing, and pretty much all of them have failed. And, uh, that's not that far away from my thinking in the sense that how, how do we change this? How do we change the game? So I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about this and, um, implementing with the team obviously here um so what we've come to is it's a, a sort of bottom-up approach so it's not a traditional managerial top-down uh, situation we we basically empower uh, the the operatives uh, who are involved in making things uh, to a continuous improvement kind of situation where they are um those that are creating the value, uh, which then and is so fundamental to to business um, transactions, uh, they they are in, in full control of of how they improve the method that that they're using. So we're working. It's difficult to explain, really, but I mean, there's there's a lot of discussion around how things are improved, but everyone has something to bring to that conversation. And, and we respect and trust each other enough to allow uh, mistakes to be made and things to change for the better. Um, so we didn't invent this. We're, we're using a, an approach which is really developed by, um, by Toyota, actually, the Toyota production system. So it's generally known as, as uh, lean manufacture. And 
uh, although it's fundamentally different to the to the assembly of cars in terms of what we do, a lot of the principles are the same. So uh, the good news is at the centre of that whole kind of philosophy or way of of the attitude to things is our people. It's about people. It's about, I suppose, uh, relying on on the nature of people to get things right if you give them the opportunity to do so and to care about what they're doing and to do things as well as they can do them. That is a fundamental cultural shift which is uh, significantly different from the way things are done in the construction sector. And I think that's what you're trying to get to, David, in terms of you know what are the fundamental differences in 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 that that are going to make that they're going to change things here. I mean, I'll give you another example: gender um, balance. We don't have it in in the sector. You often get uh, women involved in, say, design or finance, but you you almost never see them in the trades in 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 any of these. Um, influential parts of construction. We need to change that because we need a culture that's inclusive, uh, which is attractive for young people, which is exciting, which is demanding, which allows people to, to develop and grow. Um, that's the culture that um, will do astonishing things. How do you do that, Neil? Are you having to go out to attract interest from, from young people in the schools, in the colleges, to, to say construction isn't maybe what you think it is? It's it's different? Yeah, that's right. And, and we're beginning a program of that. Obviously, th- everything's been on hold the last few months with the kind of COVID situation. But we, we are engaging with schools. Um, and, um, we actually intend to develop a, what I describe as a, as a, a sort of training academy here. Uh, we're going to have to do that to, to bring in the numbers of people we need to, to grow the business as we, as we anticipate doing it. But, um, yeah, we need to reach out to young people and explain to them that this is perhaps one of the more exciting things you can do. And I think we're, as a culture, we're reconsidering this whole idea of, um, of what, further or higher education is, um, you know, really, is it about getting a whole bunch of people of a similar age and well them into an institution for for three, four, five years and expecting them to come out and be useful to the kind of world that we've been discussing, you know, um, and the, the employment situation that, that we need? Uh, I, I have my severe doubts that the university system, college system is actually uh, contributing to, to the kind of... Um, to, to allow people to develop and grow over their entire lifetimes and do something useful at the same time. Uh, so we're prepared to do something about that. And I think companies have that responsibility. Jasper, are you attracting people to come and work for for PYC who who experience maybe something that they, they wouldn't experience with you, you know, that they would get out, out in the construction world generally? I'd like to think so, yes. And... I mean, I love that, what Neil's doing and aspire to be doing the same, going out to schools. Um, we're also uh, doing an element of um, education at the moment and planning on increasing that. It's, I mean, I've just from, I'm all right, quite a while ago now, but my own education was pretty poor in respect to what was I felt was on offer to me. Um, and... Uh, it still is. It still is. It's mad how how it still is that construction is based on trades for for lads, and it's very difficult for girls to see a route forwards into construction. That would be a fantastic way to get that changed, get into the schools, and educate. And and are you still offering what I think of? as an old bloke is a is an apprenticeship are apprenticeships still around uh yes we are and uh, thank you very much uh, for calling me an old bloke um, no i'm thinking of myself jasper oh yeah good 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 i thought so i thought you must be um yes we are we've 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 had n- numerous apprenticeships running through ours and most of them based on um day release which works really well um we've, luckily enough we've got two or three construction colleges locally uh, the l- limitation on the courses they offer is is still there but um we're we're going to be providing off-site manufacturing training at our place um so that's that's going to be an option as well bringing people in to 
to do vocational training with us. Uh, Neil, do you, do you have a similar scheme in Scotland, a, an apprenticeship type approach? Yeah, we do. Um, I'm a the product of an apprenticeship myself. And um, I think the principles of mentored training, where you're you're working alongside more experienced, older people with a bit more life experiences is a kind of timeless kind of idea. And I think it's, it's a very good one. I do remember being a 17, 18-year-old lad running about with a bit of money in my pocket and uh, with various interests, guitars and girls and stuff like that. And uh, it was a good way to grow up because, um, you know, you had the discipline of working with people who knew what they were doing and 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 they would they would teach you <laughs> about doing something useful. Um, and I do, I am concerned to some extent about, you know, just, just to, for the record, we, we have apprentices ourselves here, formal, formal apprentices. Uh, my own, one of my own sons has been through that with the company here. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned about <laughs> some of the stuff they're picking up, you know, the, the kind of inevitable cultural traits that they get from the day release at Inverness College. But the same, similar to, um, accepting that, um, school children have to go to a, uh, a comprehensive school and pick up all kinds of un- unfortunate traits. It's when they get home, uh, you have the biggest influence on your children. <laughs> so despite what they might pick up in the, the big bad world out there, um, you know, companies have values and, and, and principles and, and, um, these are the things that have the biggest impact on, on young people and their overall, um, development, I think. So, that's why I think companies like um, PYC and Mac are, uh, have to get clear about, you know, what our values and priorities and, and, and mission is really. And then that becomes the, the motivation um, right across the organization. So we do spend a bit of time on this. We, we talk about it in the organization. I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, we're participating in the in the kind of apprenticeship type of training that's available and we're trying to shape it at the same time uh, to, to have a, a better outcome overall. So in the future, we're, we're obviously going to be building things differently. Are we going to see a change in the landscape of house building, stroke manufacturing? Are we going to see lots of Macars and PYCs popping up all over the place in a very different world where people go and buy their homes maybe not in such significant numbers from the big house builders but whether there's much more choice available to people i'd hope so uh certainly that's our plan is to develop more companies like ourselves um so that you can get a house built locally i i don't believe that the the large factory which will produce thousands of houses a year will be able to achieve quality in the same way and or design quality even in the same way there'll have to be a lot more repetition in in construction if and in and in design if if it's done through large factories there's a much bigger community benefit of smaller companies more smaller companies off-site manufacturing companies than there is from one large one is that going to be the same in scotland neil do you think yeah very much so and i i echo Jasper's view in terms of scale. So, um, although we, we intend to grow, uh, I believe there's an optimal scale, uh, where communication is effective, which is rather important to, to the, the outcomes. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to take a while. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, you tried to tease it out of me earlier, David, but, you know, some of the, the key players in this that have an influence over how this sector will evolve. Um, you know, decision makers and, and others uh, are yet to fully understand the importance of what we're doing. Uh, they don't. They don't get it. Uh, I'm forever trying to um, suggest that uh, public procurement, for example, you know, there's I couldn't give you the exact numbers, but there's this significant spend uh, in what we might call public infrastructure uh, in Scotland every every year. And this spend could go a long way to support a shift 
forward with the kind of principles we're talking about here. Um, we're yet to see it, but I, am, I'm, I remain hopeful that it will happen. Um, it may not even be my, <laughs> my, my generation. Hesitate to say that. You know, I'm 57. Um, you know, I've got a few years ahead of me, uh, hopefully. But I think things will probably bed in and become more fundamental, probably beyond this decade, if I was honest. Uh, I would be delighted if it happens in the next 10 years. But I think we're still struggling to kind of get that, the fundament, you know, the full impact of that message over at the moment. I think you and Jasper are both still um, youngsters. I, I need to say <laughs> that. Don't I? Um, but I'm glad you mentioned procurement because it seems to me that that whilst public procurement is is predicated on the idea of protecting the, the 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 public interest, protecting the investment that's being made, it's become a broken system now, hasn't it? That so many of us that want real change are, are having to frustratingly work within. Jasper, so following on from what Neil's saying, really about um, uh, how how the change is happening, I'm actually really impressed with councils and housing associations here in Wales. They are looking at the opportunity of um, higher quality quality housing and also how the manufacturing happens and they are taking it on board and actually going for it. It's it's hard to get it off the ground, but it is happening. Uh, some ha- some some big successes have um, are on their way. Um, it's happened with schools, so councils have realised that. Uh, a better quality school not, is not not only good for running costs; it's better for the education of the children, or better comfort, better health for in the buildings for the for the children in, in the schools, and they are essentially putting their money where their mouth is. They are getting it done. So it is a slow process, but it's happening. And some of the housing associations. Have been brilliant in in pushing this forwards, as as be with the the start that councils are now able to make on housing, they are doing the same, and I think they're highly should be highly commended for for being brave in that approach. They're still restricted by procurement rules, which is which will also have to change. The procurement method is essentially broken. I think so often they get stuck with the rules that they are they're stuck with and um, can't always get what they want through perhaps a design and build where specifications get whittled down to save pennies and often it's the performance that's lost. Don't know what the question was, but hopefully that's <laughs> come it up was with about, It was about procurement, but I think you've answered it. Yeah. I think you're bigging up Powys County Council there. I think they should get a mention, shouldn't they? Uh, absolutely, and, and some of the housing associations, um, national ones, Wales and West, Denbyshire, there's a lot of housing associations in Wales. I can't start naming them all, really, to be honest. Who've who are really looking hard at this and creating improvement in their housing stock? It is one of the differences here with schools and housing association houses and local authority houses, increasingly now again in Wales, that the sponsor has got a long-term interest. So the council has a long-term interest in the school, in educating people. Um, the housing association has a long-term interest in housing not just the first tenants but successive tenants whereas the private housing market really is only interested in that first sale absolutely i mean historically our biggest customers have been self-builders who are looking for the higher performance for themselves they are going to benefit from it in lower running costs over the years and a more comfortable better performing house whereas that's now moving on to a landlord, such as housing associations and councils, where they, they realise that for a happier, more comfortable tenant, that tenant's likely to be there longer, less changes, more likely to respect and enjoy their home. I'm afraid to say the, the open market housing developers are looking for that sale and that's it. They walk away. Um, obviously, there are, you know, there, there is a pride that I'm, I hope they have in, in what they produce, but they'd have to hold on to that because they've sold it. It's gone. So when it comes to Macar selling properties, Neil, um, are, are your customers increasingly wanting to know that they're buying a product that's going to perform? But but if for some reason there is a problem, they know they can come back to you and that you'll solve it? Yeah, that's, that's important. But just to pick up on that um, public procurement piece, 
Clearly, the the housing associations and, and government apparatus in Wales is more enlightened than than, than up here. So I'm really interested in, in how that's come about. Come about. Um, well, we're we're at the stage where reports are being written. And there was one that was that emerged in January, for example, commissioned by the Scottish government as to what offsite can offer the affordable housing sector. Uh, so there's there's still this conversation is going on. It's it's not there's no commitment really. Um, so what we've done about it, and this is something that um, picks up on your point, David, about the long term, is that over the last few months we've actually developed a number of what you might call housing products or housing configurations. Uh, so one of the things we've we've been looking to do for a while, and we finally find the time to do it in in April and May, because the design team was working here, fully functioning, and and I had a bit of headspace myself. So we've developed um, some terrace housing. So we're calling it uh, one and two bedroom starter terraces. And um, we know that this is a very efficient way to, to manufacture and assemble. Um, we know it's a very efficient way to, to, to heat in terms of its operational energy requirements. And what we're intending to do is putting together a, um, a value proposition as, as any other business uh, kind of idea and actually going out to the market, including the housing associations, with a fully formed product which deals with the carbon accounting, uh, the maintenance cycles, particularly the servicing requirements of passive house standards, so the move towards ventilation and hot water requirement rather than space heating. And um, Macker would stick with the with the product and become a facilities company effectively. Uh, so seeing it all the way through for into the future. So in that uh, circular economy idea, things are maintained and looked after, repaired. Uh, they're only replaced if they're re- remanufactured. This type of thing. And the only way a company could do that is if they have fundamental. Um, a fundamental belief in the quality of the product from in the first place. Okay, uh, so if you're delivering a fantastic product which needs very little maintenance and very little uh, on onward support, then then you can have confidence that you can actually um, stick with that product. And as Jasper just said, you know the the, the volume built. Uh, spec house you know that you just want to get rid of just get it sold and then run away as fast as possible you know not be accountable well we want to be accountable and it's that long-term thinking that that will allow us to do so and i think that's a fantastic um, advantage in the market so that's the kind of thing that's gonna that's a game changer It's, it's it's a fundamental shift and this is the kind of thing that we need in order to get traction right across all the housing um, requirements up here. So, yeah, that's what we're doing about it. So to maintain the, the automotive analogy then, you're you're like one of these um, Japanese car manufacturer that is so confident in the quality of what they're producing that, that you can offer a, an extended warranty. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. I'll, 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 I'll expand that slightly, David, uh, with an amusing kind of uh, wee story. So I come from a motorcycling family, okay. So I still have um, a couple of motorbikes. I use uh, I don't I don't own a car, which is quite quite good actually. I, I feel anyway. Um, my father talks about how in the nineteen fifties and sixties, um, the there was nothing wrong with the design of of British motorbikes. The, the style of motorbikes produced in this country are fantastic. They just didn't work very well. <laughs> so they leaked oil all the time and they were poor in other, in, in terms of their technology. And the Japanese got hold of, um, got hold of more bikes and they transformed the, the sector. And the one thing they did was they made them reliable. So when you turn the key or, or, you know, you didn't have to use a kickstart because they developed the, the technology, turned the key and they started every time. Same with cars. And, uh, the amusing thing is that uh, the, the British motorcycle industry uh, were, were trying to appeal to, to people's um, uh, sense of, of, of the kind of past. So they said, well, they came out with statements like, well, people like to tinker with motorbikes on the weekend. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? 
So uh, it's the same with housing. And, and in many respects, we've got to the point of that divide uh, where the the traditional house building sector is trying to do the same thing uh, that they've always done. And it's, it's, you know, it's just not working. And the likes of Jasper and ourselves have taken a different path and it is just so fundamentally different and so fundamentally better <laughs> that uh, it doesn't, you can't, you can't really um, compare the two things together, really. Yeah, you certainly don't want to be buying a new house because you love DIY. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But you might have to yeah, if you buy yeah. one of these cheap, yeah. uh, volume-built things. But I mean, if you look, if you look at uh, what housing associations' biggest headaches are, is is um, the repair and maintenance of housing. Yeah, and so, exactly. if there's if there's a, a building method that avoids that for the future, then it's a it's a no-brainer. Um, you know, you talked about car manufacturing uh, and again so I'll reiterate really that I don't believe that this big large manufacturing base for housing is is the way forward uh, if you've got smaller I mean I'm not saying small to my Oscar we are very small in that respect but um, smaller sort of hundreds of houses a year type uh, rather than thousands of that type of factory where the employment's local the houses are placed locally so there's that continual pride in what you've built because it's just around the corner from where you live uh, whereas large factories it's going to be across the country and you won't see it anymore so you, know, you don't get that quite quite that same sense of pride really yeah I, I agree yeah that's where the car analogy breaks down i guess doesn't it because cars tend to be produced in massive factories well not not really if you if you look into it guys this is really quite interesting and the book to read there's a fantastic book that explains this it's called the it was it was published in the early 90s and it came out of a MIT study into why the Japanese were doing so well and the American car industry was doing so badly. And if you look into the way Toyota developed, it's exactly the way we are developing. It was the market was such that it was it was lots of small orders that were custom custom built rather than um, the kind of mass production. The, the big American companies, and what they did was they they evolved the methods, the small scale methods, and they just became more more efficient. Of course, Toyota is a massive company now, and so it's difficult to make that distinction. But if you look at the, the fundamental principles of how they developed the, the sector and the the rules by which they they they, they work to now, it it is very very similar to the kind of thing that we're doing. And the scale that we're working at at the moment in, in the likes of Macker and PYC, I'm convinced of it. So if you look, if you think of a linear kind of line, you've got craft production at one extreme end, you've got mass production at the other extreme end, and custom um, manufacture, the sort of thing we do and Toyota does, is in, roughly in the middle. And um, so the, the trick is not to go to either extreme, but to do the middle, the middle piece. Do you remember the name of the book? Yeah, it's called The Machine That Changed the World. And it's got nothing to do with uh, cars or or um, houses. It's more to do with a loom. It was a, the, the, the Toyota family developed a type of loom which uh, had a fundamental characteristics. So I'll let you read the book and you'll see. And it, it's it's an attitude to how things are made and how you avoid defects. Uh, the longer a defect stays in a in a system, the, the more expensive it becomes, and the, it's it's an attitude to how things are done. And as I said before, it's with people at the centre of that process. Okay, we'll all be googling the details now to see where we can get hold of the the book. Jasper, do you you must recognise all of that, I guess. Yes, yeah. Just like to jump back really on um, where this high quality housing is actually being produced at scale and successfully. And I guess this is a few more commendations really of, um, so like Exeter Council have, it's become the norm now for, for all their housing to be to passive house levels. Uh, Norwich have had a very successful uh, site of houses, which in fact won Sterling Prize for Architecture, which was first housing, uh, council housing to win and 
there are other councils taking it up in, in large scale, such as York. And I think the bravery of these councils in stepping forward, stepping out and doing it at scale is fantastic. And, you know, it just proves that it can be done. They, they are setting really great examples for others. I meant to ask you about Passive House because you mentioned it right at the very beginning. What's significant about Passive House? Is it the fact that there's a certification process that enables a customer to know that what they think they're getting, they they are getting because there's a process that measures the performance of the finished product? Yeah, and the certification process really, the certification is the proof that they've gone through the design phase and the building um, monitoring during construction. And the certification is is the badge at the end, really. And it's actually that is what puts a lot of people off. A lot of people really want to to build to that standard, but are sort of concerned about, oh, I don't want to go for certification. But the certification is a relatively minor cost for the, in the scheme of things. Um, and it, it proves from then on for the future of the house that you've built that house to a very high standard we use you know there are some uh, houses that some sites where we're working on where it's not actually possible to achieve the full passive house standard but we still use the design software because it really helps us to to see how well the house is doing and um, helps our m and the the heating system the ventilation system the uh, etc help that helps that design so it's it's a very useful design tool let alone um, performance standard at the end but listen we've talked about uh, confidence and culture and trust and people and diversity and collaboration is is there anything either of you want to say anything i've not given you the opportunity to to say just by way of um, finishing off neil yeah, I, I was just going to echo the the importance of Passive House. Uh, I think that's um, I, I go along with everything that Jasper said. I think the so we're we're also using it as the benchmark really and as a tool, a design tool. We have several of our team here who have who are certified to to work to the PHPP system. I think it's a it's a great um, assistance at the moment in terms of. Um, uh, you're focusing on a, a quality assurance system, really. You know, in that sense, I mean, the the, the way f- the the element that falls down on is the the embodied carbon, the the upfront carbon. Uh, so if you, if you if you get that right, as well as the operational carbon side of things, you've got something really powerful. And that's what we're working on here just now. I think the final thing I would say is really that um, it's difficult to get perspective on f- on where you are in life. Um, I think it's fair to say that, uh, we're, you know, if we were able to look back from, um, you know, 50 years in the future or something, um, it, it's true to say, I think, that we are very much part of a movement uh, that, that is evolving in expression. Uh, it's both a, a kind of uh, an emotional or a, a cultural aspect to it but it's also got a physical aspect to it as well so there's nothing more significant in our lives than how we choose to live in terms of how we dwell at the buildings that the houses that we that we choose to live in uh, it's been said that uh, a culture gets the houses it deserves and that's probably largely true so the kind of movement that I'm involved in here with others, you know, because it is a movement in that sense, it wouldn't be if there was no one else involved, is one that is aspirational. We're, we're, we're really trying to, to do things as, as well as we can in the context of a climate emergency, in the context of fairly disastrous stuff going, going on around us in terms of the fundamentals of, of health and well-being and ecological um, continuity and holism. Yeah, we're, we're engaged in a process in an organization, um, which is looking to do things better for the good of all those that are involved. And, uh, yeah, it's got many various aspects to it. And, um, uh, and I suppose the final thing is it's, it's trying to build a better Scotland, frankly.
Jasper, have I given you the chance to say everything you want to say? Have you have you got any final thoughts you want to share? Just to reiterate again that we spend uh, most of our working life in an office, in a school, or currently in our homes. I mean, the time that we spent over the last few months in our homes must make us all realise how important it is to have a comfortable house to live in. And we should be building houses for others that we would ourselves be comfortable to live in. Listen, thanks to the two of you for giving up time to do this, because I know you're both really busy people. I get the sense in which we're, we are all on this journey, aren't we, together, yeah. uh, about improving things. You know, from my own experience of having built a house the traditional way, um, we've not ended up with a traditional house, but I can recognise all of those flaws in the design and um, procurement process. And I, I just, yeah, I just wish I'd known about a, a PYC or a Macar much earlier <laughs> on. I think we'd have known what to have done. Uh, we'd have made some different decisions, but hopefully for, for people coming after us, they'll have those options and, and we'll know about what the offer is. Well, thanks. Thanks uh, to you both as well for, for uh, doing what really is quite essential kind of work, really. We've got to get the, we've got to get the word out, you know. I think what's great is um, what, well, myself and Neil have been doing for years is now been noticed by mainstream construction and, and it's going to be taken up. It is going to be taken up. It's taken a while, but it's getting there. You know, we were, we've been too long a niche part of construction. We need to become mainstream. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, that turned out to be a longer discussion than we'd planned. And we certainly covered a lot of ground. I'm really grateful to Neil and Jasper for their thoughtful and candid take and for their good humour in what are quite testing times for everyone. There's no doubt in my mind that our homes are going to be very different in future and I'm sure firms like Macar and PYC are going to be making many more of them. The revolution is coming. The only question is how long it's going to take. Thanks for listening and don't forget to visit the Wood Knowledge Wales website to find out more about our work and the Homegrown Homes Project in particular.